You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Today's case takes us to a country we have never been to before on one of our episodes, Pakistan. Pakistan is a fascinating country with some of the most breathtaking scenery you can find anywhere in the world. Pakistan has lived through social and economic difficulties and its history is both extremely interesting and gripping. It's home to more than 200 million people, with more than 10 million people living in the city of Lahore, where this story takes place. Tuesday, the 9th of October, 2001. In Block 7 of the maximum security Kotlakpat jail, a guard was making the morning rounds, waking prisoners up at around 5am. As he came to one of the cells, the prisoner was lying on the floor. The guard opened the cell door to check on him. The prisoner was not responding. He had clearly been dead for a few hours at this point. In a separate cell, the body of another prisoner was found. With the two prisoners now dead, it appeared to be the end of a case that had shocked Pakistan, but people were left with more questions than answers. Our story begins in 1999, as the dawn of a new millennium was approaching. In May of that year, General Pervez Musharraf had taken control of the government after a coup and Pakistan's economy was struggling. The future for many seemed somewhat uncertain, as the daily struggle to make ends meet was widespread. In search of a better life, many people would leave their villages and head into the cities, cities like Lahore. Every single day people arrived in Lahore in search of a brighter future, hoping to find what the city had to offer them. Amongst those who go to Lahore are young boys who have run away from their homes, looking for something new. But the reality of life in the city is very different. What happens to many of these vulnerable children is awful. They are often targeted and exploited for cheap labour, and also sexually abused. They fend for themselves in a place they don't know, without the security and safety of good adults around them to care for them. In late November 1999, for police in Lahore, their day had started as normal. When checking through the mail that had been delivered, a letter was found. Unfolding the paper, the words written on it were graphic and horrifying. It was a confession. My count has reached 100. With the grace of God, I have accomplished my mission. Tears roll down my cheeks. I will make sure my mission and my message reaches the world. I am going to make many mothers weep. I will send their sons to the next world without coffins, through the gutter. The letter detailed the names of the victims and gave a minute-by-minute account as to what had happened to them and how they had met their deaths. Every grim detail was in there, how long it took to dissolve a body and how much the acid had cost him. He then gave the address for this alleged house of horrors, 16B Ravi Road, 
The Deputy Superintendent of Police, Tariq Cambo, took a couple of officers to 16B Ravi Road to investigate. After knocking on the door, the homeowner appeared, 38-year-old Javed Iqbal. The police quizzed him on the letter, asking for more details and if he knew anything about it. Javed quickly became unpredictable and volatile, grabbing a gun and saying he would take his own life if they didn't go away. So, the police left. They didn't question him further. They didn't remove the gun. They didn't even go into the property. This man can't be a killer of a hundred kids. He's a nutcase, Cambo said to the fellow officers. As they walked away from 16B, they had no idea that they had just encountered evil. They had walked away from Pakistan's worst serial killer. November 22nd, 1999. A package was delivered to the office of the Daily Jang, the oldest broadsheet newspaper in the country. It had been sent to the chief crime reporter, a man called Jamil Chishti. Upon opening the package, Jamil discovered a handwritten letter and a series of photographs. The letter read as follows. Today I have completed my target of killing 100 children. I'm enclosing photographs of the victims, who they are and where they are from. I want you, through your newspaper, to tell the world what I have done. I'm giving you my 32-page diary. It is my full confession of 100 murders. If you go to my home, you will find all the evidence. When you discover what I have achieved, it will shock the world. My first victim was a 14-year-old from Faisalabad. I gave him some sleeping tablets and orange juice. When he was asleep, I placed a gas mask on his face and gave him cyanide. He was dead within 10 seconds. His body was put into a drum of acid and in one night turned to liquid. After that, I started murdering every night and disposing of the bodies. I... I'm Javed Iqbal. The parcel also contained the 32-page diary he had mentioned in the letter and a notebook, giving horrific and disturbing details of each murder. After going through the contents of the envelope, I thought there could be two possibilities. Either someone was trying to frame him, or this man has really done it, Jamil would later say. He wasted no time and went straight to 16B Ravi Road with one of his colleagues, the address that had been given on the letter. They climbed the wall and jumped over. The property had been abandoned and padlocked. After gaining entry, they found clothes and shoes piled up, alongside sleeping pills and children's board games. Several blue plastic barrels were also dotted around. This was a detail that had been mentioned in the letter. Both of them could smell something strange and unpleasant. All around the apartment, cards were pinned up on the walls, giving details of alleged victims and how they had been murdered. One card said that he saw himself as a type of vigilante, accusing the government of failing to act on crime. This area has been turned into a breeding ground of crime. Runaway children seek refuge here and learn to commit murder, theft, pickpocketing, and get involved in immoral activities. 
If the government can't stop this, then ordinary people will have to find their own solution, as I did. One of the other cards read, The five sacks lying in one corner of this room contain the clothes of 100 victims, while the remaining three sacks contain 85 pairs of shoes belonging to them. Another card read, The bodies in the house have been deliberately not disposed of, so that the authorities will find them after my suicide. I'm going to jump into the River Ravi to commit suicide. As they carried on looking through the property, the strange smell still hung in the air. They decided to take the lid off of one of the barrels. Nothing could have prepared them for what they found. There, floating in an unknown liquid, appeared to be human remains. It appeared that the confession had been true. The newspaper decided to take this story to print and on the 3rd of December, they ran the shocking headline. Claim of murder of a hundred kids. They printed the photos and names of 57 missing boys who were now presumed murdered. The shoes and clothes that had been found were taken to the police station in order for them to be identified and linked to any of the missing boys. Parents broke down in uncontrollable sobs as they recognised the clothes of their children. The police ran tests on the contents of the barrels and found that they contained a combination of sulfuric and hydrochloric acid. They had a confession, they had a detailed account of the murders, they had a crime scene, they had several bodies, but they had no suspect in custody. Javed Iqbal was on the run and the largest manhunt Pakistan had ever seen was launched. It had now been a week since the letter and confession had been sent to the Daily Jang. Two people were arrested after attempts had been made to cash cheques that belonged to Javed Iqbal. They allegedly told the police that they were partners in crime and confessed to committing sexual violence against some of the boys that had been killed. The police still couldn't find Javed Iqbal and the hunt was ramping up to find him. People were hopeful that he hadn't acted on his promise to end his life and that they would find him in time to bring him to justice. Another man called Ishak Billah had also been arrested as an accomplice for allegedly being the one who had sold Javed Iqbal the acid. Just a few days later on the 7th of December, Ishak was being interrogated at the CIA headquarters in Lahore. During the interrogation, he jumped out of a window on the third floor. He was killed instantly, and witnesses who saw this happen said he was not wearing handcuffs when he fell. It was reported that when a post-mortem was carried out, there was evidence to suggest that force had been used. Three officers were arrested following his suicide and two senior officials were transferred. It was unclear as to whether or not they were amongst the three officers that had been arrested. With one of the alleged accomplices now dead, they needed to find Javed Iqbal sooner rather than later. As he had said his plan had been to drown himself in the Ravi River, the police searched the river with nets, but no body was found. Just as they were losing hope, the news would soon come in that they had been waiting for. The 29th of December 1999, Javed Iqbal finally surrendered. He walked into the office of the Daily Jang and told the staff working there, I am Javed Iqbal, killer of 100 children. I hate this world. I am not ashamed of my actions and I am ready to die. 
I have no regrets. I killed 100 children. I could have killed 500. This was not the problem. But the pledge I had taken was of 100 children, and I never wanted to violate this. Those working in the office were stunned. What was even more surprising was that he spoke to journalists there for the next hour, detailing how he had committed the murders and disposed of the bodies. Employees of the paper quickly contacted the authorities and more than 100 soldiers soon had the building completely surrounded. When speaking with the journalists, the only pity he showed was towards himself, saying he was a victim of the police system, irregularities in the jail system in Pakistan and injustice in other sections of society. He was swiftly placed under arrest. As the pieces of the puzzle were coming together, more and more was coming out about Javed and his disturbing past. He was the sixth child of a wealthy family. He had four sisters and five brothers. His father was a successful businessman, and both he and his wife doted on their son. He was spoiled and pampered, constantly told how brilliant and how intelligent he was compared to his siblings. Early on in his childhood, he showed signs of serious aggression. He would physically attack other children and would also kill animals. His brother said, as a boy, he was violent and eccentric. He would give a lot of headache to our parents. Javed will go into a trance. Sometimes he'd wake everyone up in the middle of the night and ask us to line up behind him. It was like some spirit had possessed him. I really think he was possessed as a kid. According to his brother, if Javid wanted something and their father refused, he would threaten to harm himself until he got his own way. Upon leaving Islamia High School, he went on to attend Islamia College. He had an engineering business set up for him by his father, who also purchased two villas, and a steel recasting business was run from one of the properties. Whilst working, he employed young boys to work in the business, as it was cheaper to employ them. In 1983, after years of refusing to allow his parents to arrange a marriage for him, he announced he would be getting married to a bride of his own choosing. She was the older sister of one of the boys he knew. It was reported that this was orchestrated by Javed to stop the boy from leaving him. The couple would go on to have a daughter. His violence soon began to come to the surface again. He committed assault against the son of a well-known and highly regarded resident of the area, and the incident was taken to the elders. Javid confessed what he had done and signed a document, promising he would not do it again. Copies were printed of the document and put up around the area, and he visited 100 shops to apologise for his actions. He also set up a shop selling video games, the first one of its kind in the area. He offered lower rates for young boys or would give them things for free. One particularly insidious thing he would do would be to drop money on the floor near a boy. Once the boy had picked up the money, Javid would say his money had been stolen and that he needed to search everyone. Once he found the money on the boy who had picked it up, he would take him to a different room, saying he needed to perform a strip search. He would then brutally sexually attack the boy. Sometimes he would give the boy the money to keep as a so-called gesture of goodwill. 
People in the area quizzed him on why he only hired young boys. He said he was doing it out of the kindness of his heart, helping runaways and caring for them, adding that he loved them. Parents in the area stopped letting their children visit his shop, so he started both an aquarium and also a gym in a bid to get boys to go. Another one of his schemes was to set up a school with air conditioning called Sunnyside School. The school failed as parents refused to let their children attend. Another business was a shop that sold products at a discounted rate, but this too failed after just a few weeks. Not only was he wealthy, he also maintained good connections with the police and invested in a magazine called Anti-Corruption Crime, often praising the police for their work. During this time, he interviewed more than 20 officers about their lines of work and duty. He lied to his neighbours and said he was a high-ranking police officer who worked in an anti-corruption unit. He was acutely aware of how the legal system worked. He would later serve a six-month stint in prison for rape against a boy, but even this did not make him afraid of the authorities or of being caught. In late 1990, a father filed a complaint with the police, alleging that Javid had raped his son. After the police failed to locate him, they arrested his father and two of his brothers, keeping them in prison for seven days. Javid still refused to give himself up. On the eighth day of their detention, the police made another arrest. This time it was a boy who had been staying at Javid's house, and he too was taken to the police station. Just a few hours later, Javid Iqbal showed up. He verbally abused members of his family for failing to stop the police from arresting the boy before finally giving himself up to the authorities in exchange for the boy's release. It was later alleged that he had bribed the police and the parents of the boy who had filed the complaint in exchange for no charges being filed. His brother would later say in a documentary that the family had found out about Javed's paedophilia in 1991 after he had been taken into custody, accused of raping two young boys. I had a lot of friends in the police. If I had any problems with my neighbours, my police friends would help me out. Two young boys accused me of rape. It was in the newspapers and my neighbours confronted me. They wanted me to leave. I was angry. My family raised 160,000 rupees and the money was handed to the police. Police officers don't care about runaway boys. All they want is the boys for themselves and spend the night with them. So disgusted by his actions, his wife left him, and most of his family severed ties too. Javed would later remarry and have a son, but this marriage soon fell apart too. When his father passed away in 1993, few were left who would protect him. When he was next caught, he was beaten and thrown out of the area. However, with the passing of his father came an inheritance of three million rupees. In 1995, he began building a mansion in Rana town. He was a keen videographer, using his camcorder to capture all aspects of his life, including his home. The property was enormous, boasting a pool, wild animals and a sprawling underground space. I loved my palace. I had exotic flowers and wild animals, tigers, monkeys and snakes. These were the happiest days of my life. I had such fun and great times with my friends. He continued his schemes to try and meet young boys. Another method he used was using children's magazines to find pen friends. He would receive photographs of these pen friends and would then shortlist them to the children he found attractive and actively engage with them, 
He would send presents and money, grooming them, trying to get them to send photographs of themselves, or go and visit him. As his extravagant spending continued, he was no longer living within his means. His money was rapidly running out. In 1997, his finances were in serious trouble, so he sold his mansion and moved to a different part of the city. One of the boys that had been picked up by Javed Iqbal would manage to escape. He had run away from a small, poor village where jobs were hard to come by. He had boarded a bus to Lahore, hoping he would find a better life ahead of him. Javed approached the child while he was sitting in a park. He was carrying a postcard and told the boy he was a father looking for his son who was missing and asked him to help in the search. Javed then took the boy back to his property, where he beat him and told him if he tried to escape, he would shoot him. Whenever Javed left, the boy would be locked inside. Whilst held captive, the boy saw Javed bring other boys back, where they would be sexually assaulted and abused. On one occasion, Javed told the boy to take his clothes off. When he refused, he was beaten. The terrified child got undressed. Javed Iqbal then raped him. Located in Lahore is the Data Daba, the largest Sufi shrine in South Asia. Many of those in need go there, as people often donate food for the needy. This was one of his hunting grounds, knowing there would be boys looking for food and shelter. In September of 1998, he was back at Zatadaba. I saw an attractive 18-year-old youth. I offered him a job as my servant and he agreed, so I took him home. The boy who was still being held captive said that Javed had brought the youth back and taken him to his bedroom for a massage. Javed Iqbal would later rape him. I locked the door and put the key under my pillow. Then we all went to sleep. The boy who was being held captive said that he and the 18-year-old slept on the floor. During the night, Javed was attacked. He was beaten with the butt of a rifle that had been found in the apartment. He alleged that the 18-year-old had carried out the assault. As the sound of screams echoed around the apartment, neighbours ran to investigate. They found Javed lying on the floor covered in blood and the younger of the boys with a head injury. Javed Iqbal could not lie his way out of this one. Enraged, the neighbours threw him out of the village. Javed was unconscious in hospital for roughly three weeks. The assault resulted in a broken jaw and fractured skull. He was arrested on suspicion of rape, but was later granted bail. Nobody in his family would pay for his medical treatment, and his ageing mother was trying to care for him, as he couldn't even walk without help. Clinical psychologist Akhtar Ali would later say that this incident was the turning point. Javed, someone who had been aggressive his whole life and was so accustomed to getting everything he wanted, had not been expecting aggression to be directed towards him. He was someone who was used to being in control. This attack was not something he was prepared to accept. In order to pay for his medical care, his assets were sold, something he was shocked to discover. His money continued to run out and he moved to 16B Ravi Road. His mother died a few months later after a period of ill health, and Javed was set on revenge. I was so badly beaten that my head was crushed, my backbone broken, and I was left crippled. I hate this world. My mother cried for me. I want 100 mothers to cry for their children. I did it to avenge an attempt on my life by my boys, the death of my mother and an injustice in society. 
In February of 1998, another complaint was made that he had raped two young boys at gunpoint. His wealth and status meant he escaped justice yet again. In May 1999, his depraved killing spree would begin. 100 runaway boys would disappear in just 147 days. After the success of my first murder, I decided my mission should begin. Javed Iqbal would later say that he had experimented with acids to find the best way of dissolving a body. He mixed two together and then murdered a boy before placing his body into the barrel of acid. Within 12 hours, the young boy's body had disintegrated. Friday, August 13th. Murdered three boys today. They don't belong to their parents or anyone else. No one will miss them. Following his staggering confession, the police would spend the next few days talking to the families of the children who had gone missing. There were heartbreaking scenes as parents flocked to the police station to look at the photographs and clothing that had been found in the house, their worlds crashing down when they realised their son was amongst the dead. My victims were tricked into coming back to my apartment. When the bodies had dissolved, I poured the liquid down the toilet. My neighbour complained about a smell of the acid and I decided to empty the barrels into a nearby river instead. No one suspects what I am doing. No one cares. Over the days that followed, 57 children had been identified from the photographs or clothes. A spokesperson for the police said... Some of the children whose pictures or clothes were identified were among the city's poorest. Some were beggars, and others were among the army of children in Pakistan who work on the streets selling things. Others had left home and never returned. Based on evidence that had been found in the apartment, the police were able to identify more than 80 boys. On the 18th of February 2000, Javed Iqbal was formally indicted. Murder charges were filed against him, a 17-year-old called Sajid, and two minors. They all entered pleas of not guilty. As he was escorted into court for the proceedings, more than a dozen police officers were required to surround him and stop him from being killed by the crowds of outraged citizens. The prosecution had 105 witnesses, 73 of which were family members of the children. The court also heard from handwriting experts and the driver of the rickshaw that one of Javed's employees had paid for to take the acid-filled barrels to the river. Throughout the court proceedings, Javed Iqbal's story continued to morph and change. He would say that the children were alive and that the clothes found in the apartment were all just second-hand ones that he had picked up. He would then later say he had committed the murders as an act of revenge for the injustice meted out to him. During the trial, special public prosecutor Ashgar Rokhari argued that Javid's written confession was not only a key and valid piece of evidence, but that there were witnesses who could corroborate its authenticity, people who had seen him with young boys who had later gone missing, the amount of clothes and shoes that had been found at the property that were then later confirmed to belong to the boys who had been reported missing, provided yet more weight to their case. The prosecutor also highlighted the previous allegations that had been made against Javed, allegations of rape and sexual abuse, highlighting a very disturbing pattern of behaviour. 
During the trial, the defence lawyer threatened to step back and no longer represent Javid after he had received a call from an anonymous source warning him of the possible consequences of being his defence lawyer. The trial would last for two months and outrage from the public would often come to the surface outside the courthouse with people calling for Javid to be executed. The 16th of March, 2000. The courtroom was packed as the verdicts were read out. The two minors were convicted and received prison sentences for their roles. 17-year-old Sajid was also convicted and sentenced to death. Javed Iqbal was convicted of 100 murders. He was given 100 death sentences. The judge said that Javed Iqbal would meet the same fate that he had subjected his victims to. He told the court, Javed Iqbal has been found guilty of 100 murders. The sentence is that he should be strangled 100 times. His body should be cut into 100 pieces and put in acid, as he did with his victims. He was to be strangled using the same chain he had used to murder his young victims. However, the country's interior minister, Moenadine Haider, said that the sentence was not permitted. We are signatories to the Human Rights Commission. Such punishments are not allowed. He said it would be taken to the High Court for a legal challenge. Javed Iqbal's lawyer also argued that the sentence was against Pakistan's constitution. The chief prosecutor supported the judge in this sentence, saying that Javed Iqbal was not a human, but a beast. His defence lawyer later confirmed he would appeal his sentence. His lawyer alleged that some of the children who were believed to have been murdered had returned home, and that the confession Javed had made was a false one, originating from detective stories. He then argued that the false confession was also the result of trying to raise awareness of boys going missing and get the government to pay attention to the issue, despite the fact his handwriting matched the cards that were found in his apartment and detailed the murders. He appealed against his death sentence at the Lahore High Court and after several months the High Court transferred it to another court, saying it did not come within their jurisdiction. While sitting in prison... Javed Iqbal met with a Canadian psychiatrist and author named Khalid Sahail. Javed told him, Look here, in between my eyebrows you will see a sign. Most people have either a blank space or hair joining the eyebrows, but I have these three prongs. It is a star, a special sign from God. Tuesday, the 9th of October, 2001 in Block 7 of the Maximum Security Prison, Javed Iqbal was found dead in his cell. Found dead in another cell was Sajid. It was initially reported that they had taken their own lives by ingesting poison, but this version of events would later be challenged. It was alleged by a prisoner that Javed and Sajid had taken their own lives between 10pm and 2am. The prisoner also alleged that the guard on duty had said, I was asleep when the incident took place. The prisoner stated that when the guard had woken up, he had observed the two men hanging in their cells using bedsheets tied to the iron bars, and that they had been taken down and then placed on the floor to look as though they were sleeping, before leaving the cell without telling anyone. When the guard was replaced, the new guard failed to check on the prisoners, and it wasn't until morning that the head warden found the pair dead in their cells, after he had gone to wake them up. It was reported that for the police investigators this story was odd, for two prisoners to take their lives in this way at the same time was unusual. 
In a bid to ascertain exactly what had happened, a magistrate, doctors, police and seniors from the prison descended on the scene. The bodies were taken away from the prison and sent to the city mortuary. According to the doctors, their necks were found to have strangulation marks on them and blood had come out of their nostrils and mouths. On Javed Iqbal's body, they found many wounds that had healed, wounds that had been inflicted with a blunt weapon and they were found across his body. Despite the indications of another person or persons being involved in their deaths, they were officially ruled as being suicides. Javed's lawyer, Faisal Najib Chowdhury, spoke to the BBC and said he was unconvinced by the official version of his client's death and was still waiting for the results of the post-mortem. One of the officials from the prison had called Javed Iqbal's behaviour whilst in jail strange, adding that he had made more than 12 attempts to end his life. Following the deaths of the two inmates, six officials were suspended. Javed's family refused to collect his body from the mortuary, with his brothers saying the day he had made his confession was the day he had died to them. The story of the case would later be made into a film. It was announced in 2021 that Javed Iqbal, the untold story of a serial killer, would be coming out. The day before it was scheduled to be released, the Central Board of Film Censors pulled it from cinemas, citing objections to it from the public. However, many expressed their disappointment over the decision to pull the film. Following changes and edits, it was announced it would be released in Pakistan on the 19th of May 2022. The impact of this case cannot be understated. It is a story that has captured and horrified people in equal measure for more than 20 years. The horror, brutality and scale of it all lingering in the public consciousness. For the loved ones left behind, knowing the appalling deaths these boys were met with is crushing. Knowing that so many had gone missing and nobody had noticed. Knowing that there had been opportunities to catch and properly punish him for his crimes against children, but these had either been missed or had no impact, are thoughts that are too awful to comprehend. There are now 100 families that are missing their sons, grandsons, brothers, nephews and cousins. For many of these boys, hopes and dreams of a better life in the city were cruelly and brutally snatched away. Words almost seem futile when trying to wrap up a case like this but the least one can do is think of these boys and their families and hope that such atrocities never, ever happen again. <laughs>